on this episode of the Heartland Pod for Monday, February 5th, 2024. The Missouri GOP continues to spit into the wind. Louisiana goes after journalists. The Biden administration extends opioid treatments. Missourians might have reliable internet before 2030. How about that? Donald Trump's legal woes getting worse somehow. 2024 election era, we're diving into our Senate edition. And the last call preview on uh, Zuckerberg hearings. That guy, boy, mm, just a, a disquieting stare that he was trying to give in comfort. But lots to do, so let's go. Welcome to the Heartland Pod, where we're working together to change the conversation in politics. My name is Adam Summer. I have here with me Rachel Parker and Sean Diller. We are coming to you, uh, if you're if you're one of our top-tier members over on our Patreon at theheartlandcollective.com, then we're coming to you live on this uh, Sunday morning. I, I, won't, I, I dare not call it beautiful, because I don't really know yet what's going on out there. I'll be honest with you. Uh, so I'll just it's ass- assume it's, it's not gray because it's, it's still yes. February. So yes, correct. Uh, on a gray it's, it's Sunday not, morning, yeah. it is above 30 <laughs> degrees. So like, let's take that as a win though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah true. That's a good point. Um, I have a big old mug of coffee and uh, some water. I uh, drank one cup of coffee before we got started. I've got a big one with me. Uh, had a busy, but kind of regular ish week. Parents are coming to visit for the day. So uh, that tells you where things are going for the rest of my day. How about you, Rachel Parker? How's the week? What you sipping on? The week was good. I'm sipping on coffee. It's funny, right before we hit record, I heard the first... So we're, we ch- we switched the recording schedule, so we're always going to be recording on Sunday morning now, yeah, at least for welcome. the... Which I think is kind of cool, actually, uh, for all of us. And I the first... I don't know. I've recently, we recorded a Sunday morning, and I heard right before we recorded, Sean and I mentioned morning mucus like we just mm-hmm. mentioned morning yeah, the clear Schmutz. the clear out yeah the clear out yeah and sean said man i've got i've got continents up there continents. <laughs> so as soon as i as soon as i walked as i was getting ready to sit down and i was like girl go get you some kleenex because you've got continents up there <laughs> you don't want to have to like stand up and walk away and be like one sec blow your nose so um so i have i have tissues also i feel like i should say that i have tissues uh i am sipping on coffee i i wish uh I wish I could make the week a concise button, but it was weird. My week was weird. Um, I'm ready to stop. It doesn't matter. It was sort of personal, but I'm ready for weeks to not be so weird. Like I'm ready for a week to just be like, what'd you do? Well, I got up and I worked and then I went to bed pretty much. That's what I pretty much did instead of like, ah, like chaos arriving in my life. So anyway, let's all pray to the Lord. I don't believe in that. Rachel has just a normal, boring week next week. It's boring, dull, nothing work, bed. Pick the influential thing that you would like to express your hope and gratitude to, and a hundred percent, yeah, a hundred percent. Your your higher power it. that I don't that I don't believe in, but somehow I'm asking you to pray to it anyway. Sean Diller, how about you, man? How's the week? What you sipping on? I'm doing well, thanks. Uh, the week was good. I've got black coffee and some nice clear ice water. Um, double fisting, and. <laughs> so yesterday there was like some extended family drama and so like michelle was basically on the phone all day and so i was with the girls like all day trying to just like keep things quiet in the house and i don't know if you guys know the disney junior television show super kitties oh yeah, Have you seen that? yeah. 
Oh, yeah. It's great. <laughs> Super Kitties is great. Uh, highly recommend. And it's basically the same formula. I guess Disney PJ now... Masks and right, yeah, right. The three three kids that are all a little bit different, and right. they all have to come together to solve the problem in the end. Exactly right. Yeah. And like this one, I think just really grabs from old Superman and kind of the old uh, you know superhero Justice League. Uh, right. Uh, what's the Friends? Uh, Super friends. Super friends. Uh, yeah. But anyway, yeah. So like they're all playing during normal times, kicking balls of yarn around or whatever. And then the kitty cat call comes on and they run behind something and then change outfits. And then the song runs. And then as they're getting the there's the exposition part about like what their adventure is going to be. And there's the huge board, right? And they look up to like kind of see what's, you know, like there's a big uh, control panel console. Um, like in the Super Friends. But the funniest thing is like the the touchpad for the console down at like where your keyboard would be is like lines of uh, like rope, like a cat toy, you know, just like kind of like <laughs> and so this one cat sparks, runs up and he's always the one on it. And he goes like, <laughs> and that makes the, uh, that's how he inputs into the machine. And it's been cracking me up. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm familiar with those uh, with that genre. Keep an eye of out for show. Sparks. It's hilarious, and the singer is so good. Uh, the Super Kitties. There's a Spider-Man one like that. That's like the three Spider-Men, right. and they're all kids. And yeah, it's all. Yeah. And they're friends with the bad guys, uh, which I like. Right, know? just like, it's PJ Masks. They took the PJ Masks and they repackaged yeah. it over and over again, and it works very, very well. Um, quick oh, reminder. Wait, I- no, I, have no, go ahead. Shout, I have to shout Adam Summer up for a second. So this week, you guys may have noticed that the MAGA right lost his mind about a pop star dating a football player. Um, I don't think I need to say any more than that, do I? Uh, no, yeah. And I, I was like, speaking of Justice League Super Friends, we got the call, the bat signal, whatever. I was like, who amongst us can write something both poignant and hilarious, full of pathos and humor in our group? And I was like, Adam, it's you. You got to write something about this. And he was like, I don't know. And I was like, no, dude, come on, man. Like, you're a super duper Chiefs fan. You're one of the people that I know that when Kelsey started dating Swift, you were like, oh, if only somebody would pay attention to this like unknown football player, ha ha right. ha, that no one's ever heard of before. <laughs> LOL, LOL. Um, and I gotta say, I'm so glad. If, if people haven't read it, it's called what is it called? Tay uh, Tay Trav Perhaps, and the Right Wing Media. Right, yeah, yeah. And then media. It's and like a kids' book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> if you haven't yet read it, I'm encouraging people to go over to the site. It's the only, it's it's the main story up there. I purposely didn't put anything up because I didn't want I wanted to be the top story for like on the website for like at least a few more days. And I'm so glad that when I was editing it, I was not drinking anything because there were a couple of moments that I was like, dude, just inspired, succinct, funny. It is so fun to like kind of be your partner in arms and like kind of helping you develop. You're a good writer, but like, like kind of figuring out this like voice that you have right now. And I just want to say like, it's so awesome. And I sent it to a couple of my friends. They were like, did you write these jokes? And I was like, no, believe it or not, I didn't. My friend, they're like, well, they kind of, they kind of sound like you. I was like, I know we just have very similar similar aesthetic. Yeah. But like, it's so, it's so great. And I just wanted to say thanks. And I wanted to encourage, it'll, it'll take everybody like all of like, Three minutes to read it or something. Yeah, it's a quick read. On the ta- the topic of Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey, and the right wing, like the specific predictions we never talked about, but like a lot of people are saying, like they're going to endorse Biden on midfield. Like they're making they're, very they're going to win the Super Bowl and then she's going to come down right. to the field. He'll propose to her and then she's going to endorse. Oh wow! Okay, Joe so I'm going to say those predictions are wrong. 
right? Yeah. I love a, I love a great opportunity to make a safe bet. Everyone there are better says, bets to make at the Super Bowl <laughs> than betting on that happening. Yeah, you can bet on it not happening just based on the people who are saying it'll happen. Like their other predictions are all crazy and unhinged and dumb. But also just bringing it back to politics. This can be our segue. Couples don't endorse together. It doesn't really happen. Also, big stars don't endorse in February. It doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> this is not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, yeah. in the meantime, read Adam's piece on the Harlem. Yeah. Well, it's great. Well, thank, thank you very much. Thanks for, and it's, it, you know, that it's a good example too of like what the Heartland Collective is, which is, it doesn't have to be like, it was Rachel's idea to, for, for this to be written. I did the writing. She then finished it up and like other people can do that too. If you guys have ideas, I'd love to hear you guys talk about this or write about this, or I wrote about this. Would you take a look at it? And maybe, you know, we're working on a separate space. That'll be like kind of a, a purely yeah, it's outside cool. contributor it's gonna, space. It's going to be it's great. Gonna be, and uh, yeah, it's going to, it's going to be live this week for the folks that have been sending us stuff. Um, thank you so much. Stay tuned. Yeah. Uh, I keep I doing it. Like I said, Rachel's week was a little bonkers last week for no real good reason, except that it yeah. was. So this week we will be launching that feature. I'm super excited about it too. It's going to be great. Yeah. Go to the heartland collective.com to read what's there and uh, you can sign up to be a member and uh, get the last call, but also you can click this the button to get a hold of us and you can submit stuff to us. Uh, I also want to remind folks before we get into the rest of the substance to take a moment. If you, especially if you're in Missouri, if you're not in Missouri, you can still go to the website and help moconstitutionalfreedom.org. This is the group that is running the uh, abortion initiative petition in Missouri. They are in the process of starting their training. And in fact, if you hear this on the 5th or even the morning of uh, the 6th of February, it's not too late. You can go to uh, moconstitutionalfreedom.org and you can sign up. There'll also be a link in the show notes to sign up. Uh, they have events this week in Kansas City, Columbia, Springfield, St. Louis, St. Joe. Uh, there's there's a couple more uh, going on, but they're doing sign up events. You can be one of the first people to sign the petition. Also, you can get signed up with the group to go and get signatures on the petition. There's a training happening. Uh, really, really good time to get involved with that. And I know I've seen some folks uh, on the social medias reposting that and that they're going to go do it. So uh, big, you know, it's a big gold star and it's, you know, not everybody can do everything. So if there's, you know, you can't do it, but you can spare 25 bucks. Great. That's a way to help. You don't have 25 bucks, but you do have the ability to go do a training and go spend a couple of Saturdays, you know, getting signatures. By the way, I, I don't know. I haven't talked with them, but a lot of times in these kinds of things, there's uh, uh, they hire people to get signatures. So it's not out of the question that the, there could be a paid gig involved that you can also help. So lots of good stuff uh, to do and to look at. But moconstitutionalfreedom.org is a place to check out right now before we get into the rest of what we have here, which we'll do now. Talking politics. All right, talking politics. Uh, and a reminder, you can support what we do by leaving a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to the show. And when you sign up to be a member, you get the last call episodes. We have a last call this week, so that's our five bucks and up members get those episodes and you support this show and all of our shows, including Jess Piper's Dirt Road Democrat, which just added a second episode uh, that probably won't happen all the time, like forever. But we're in session right now in Missouri. So Jess is doing weekly Missouri politics uh, roundups. 
So that came out Sunday morning on the podcast format. It's everywhere you find our stuff, which, by the way, is on YouTube as well. You can get just the straight podcasts are publishing directly to YouTube now. So you can find our podcast on YouTube along with lots of videos, including videos of this particular episode after it has been edited. Um, Quick hit, uh, a couple of things. Number one, I don't know if you guys uh, stayed up for this. I did. Uh, watched SNL last night, and Nikki Haley was on the cold open. Um, she had no several. Way. She had a bunch of lines. Uh, like it wasn't like a walk in at the end and wave throwaway kind of thing. She had. She was like five good minutes. Like she was on the television doing lines, making fun, hardcore making fun of Donald Trump. Um, and at one point in time, there was a sixth sense joke uh, about I see dead people. And Nikki said, well, that's what people are going to say when they say you and Joe on the Biden or you and Joe on the ballot again in 2024. Wow. Like, I mean, it was wow. like a full blown body slam across the board. Uh, well, me, and could, and and they let her do a very short rehab on her incredibly stupid Civil War uh slavery did they yeah whatever it was very interesting did she mention the need to bring people together no she's done yeah yeah because she's whiffed repeatedly yeah on that one the opportunity to make a lane for herself yeah yeah it was interesting i just thought it was interesting uh i you know i think that at this point team Haley is is just looking at it and going look there's a more than zero percent chance here that trump just drops dead and someone's got to be there and so we'll just be there and if he drops dead or is sitting in a jail cell or whatever we'll be the ones who are like we have an apparatus we have a campaign we have that's the definition of an also ran you think you're being smart when you do that but seems like what it is so anyway (laughs) that happened uh check it out yeah it's it it's worth watching just to see what they did with it. The other quick hit that's actually important, uh, the bipartisan tax bill uh, passing. That's a big deal. Uh, we had been following that. Other pleasant surprise is uh, also the just another another time to point to the Biden presidency being precisely what was promised, which is an administration where bipartisan work is getting done. Do you love every Rachel? Do you love everything about this bipartisan tax bill? Probably well, no, not. I mean, I, I wish that the I wish that it was the child care tax credit from 2021. That right. would be amazing. Um, I also wish that they weren't uh, enshrining so many tax credits to businesses that don't need them. Frankly, right. um, that would be happy. I'm glad that the way they're paying for it is by not kind of, they just kind of move some decimal points around. It's right. not going to raise the deficit. Um, but I'm deeply concerned about its prospects in the Senate because Grassley has already said, I don't know, man, about like trying to get Biden a win. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of shocked, frankly, that Jason Smith in particular was the one who championed it in committee and got it out of committee and got mm-hmm. it to a floor vote. And that um, it shows you how kind of weak the Republicans are on the House side right now, that anything positive for working people got into any kind of tax relief bill, frankly. Right. Right. Uh, it right. shows you that Mike Johnson is not really um, this, Mega, like he's, he's not, a, right. So it's, it's, it's interesting to see that pressure mm-hmm. because that is, that's proof to me that it's not about trying to find a center position. It's trying to find 
areas of compromise and areas of compromise happen when two sides go, well, I really want this. And the other side goes, well, I really want this. Right. Instead of trying to become Kirsten cinema and go, well, I'm the centrist. I just like moderate policy, moderate policy doesn't exist. Compromise can. Um, so that's what I have to say about it. So yeah. you know, not, it's a good thing. Whatever. It's a good thing. I that, can't that's a smart, anything. a smart distinction too, because that is what people seem to, you know, well, moderate, moderate just means like lukewarm water, right? That's not, that's not, you, you're never getting, you know, you're never going to boil your pasta and you're also never going to have cool, clear water to drink. It's just going to be lukewarm all the time. And nobody actually wants that. Sometimes you need hot water. Sometimes you need cold water. And it's finding the ability to say, you know, it, you know it's a perfect example of like in a negotiation, you have to figure out what is your, what do you have to lose and what do you have to gain? And if they want something that you don't, you know, if they get what they want and you don't lose what you want and you get what you want and they don't lose what they want, you can still, you know, but to do so, you both have to water it down 10%. That's a compromise, like where you're, you're getting what you want without giving up something. Um, and so that's, that's how I read this as well. And, uh, just very interesting. Also, Sean, just as a side note, uh, Joe Biden did, in fact, win the South Carolina primary. I don't know if you were staying up watching that coverage, um, had a tight look on that or not. <laughs> no, I just saw the headline on Drudge Report, 96%. Yeah. Wow. Hmm. Amazing. I guess. Uh, what's that guy's name again? Dean Phillips. How do you do again? Yeah. What Dead was last? Steve- yeah, he had a good day, though. What was Steve Schmidt's career called? I think is the other thing to say is like, <laughs> right. what did he do for a living before this? Right. Talk about like failing to find a lane for yourself. Jesus Christ. I'm just the guy. He's like, the, he's like, what is he? King of the also brands. Is that what we could call Steve Schmidt now? Just like, I'm the man that you come I mean, to. I think the Lincoln project helped make sure Trump didn't win a second term. That's I do. true. Yeah. Right. But Steve Schmidt is not involved with the Lincoln project anymore. And the Lincoln project, when he started working with Dean Phillips was like, you're dead to us. Right. So that's what I mean. Like, and he also stopped. He also was the one that tried to help Howard Schultz run an independent campaign in 20. So he has been dead to me for a long time as the, the man of the also rands. I I feel like Um, Dean, Dean Phillips can join Asa and Doug Burgum. Remember Doug Burgum? Remember that? How can I forget him? He's still in office, right? Isn't he still the governor? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's jump into the rest of the topics. True or false? All right. True or false? Missouri GOP's push to change the initiative petition process is spinning into the wind. Right now in Jefferson City here in Missouri, uh, there's a lot of ridiculousness happening. And quite a bit of it is centered around the initiative petition process. So right now in Missouri, uh, a citizen initiative petition can be filed and you can gather signatures. It's something like 174,000 or something like that uh, signatures across the state. And then you can get onto the ballot. And if you get more than a majority uh, for almost every single possible topic, uh, if you get more than a simple majority, then it passes and the Constitution will be amended to enshrine whatever that is. Uh, That is how we got medical cannabis and then recreational cannabis. And there's uh, right to work has been involved in that. There's lots of stuff goes through the initiative petition process. Raising the minimum wage in Missouri, which was $5.15 an hour forever. Right. Right. Um, So that is what the process is. Most of you are probably familiar with that. 
But uh, they are fighting it and fighting it and fighting it and fighting it in the uh, Republican-controlled Missouri, uh, you know, uh, legislature with a supermajority, and including this ridiculous Freedom Caucus, Chaos Caucus, whatever label they're getting put on them. It's a small group of Republicans who uh, spent the first entire week of Missouri Senate business filibustering. Uh, everything uh, because they want to move this initiative petition. They're calling it reform uh, along. Rachel, uh, start with you here as a Missouri resident and somebody who I know has been interested in the initiative petition that's <laughs> happening right now. Uh, yeah, what do you think? Uh, true. I think it's interesting. I think like that it kind of shows some of what Sean says about like, a lot of these people are smarter than they act and they're not quite as dumb as they seem. And yeah. they also want to be able to pass legislation by a simple majority when they propose. So the, right now the Missouri legislature can pass an amendment to basically can pass a, a bill. Yeah. They says can put we're it going directly to put on this. Right. And it's going to go directly to the voters right now. That's it. We don't have to go through it. So if they want to do something that would say, I don't know, reform voting voting rights, which they've done, things like that, um, they will also need a 60% supermajority of voters. And I, I think, I haven't seen the language because they can't get it out of, they can't get it on the floor. Um, but the last time they tried this, you needed a 60% vote in every single congressional district. So it wasn't just that you needed a 60% vote statewide, right. you needed a 60% vote in every single Missouri congressional, and then it would pass. So I think that um, they're wildly aware, some of them, of how unpopular this would really be with voters. Um, but also, like, I think they're mostly just getting a big charge out of being obstinate, obstructionist, Trumpy, just say no, we're not rhinos, nonsense. And we predicted all last year and some of the year before that their own problem was going to be themselves, Right. Right. It's like the uh, it's it's the they, they are their own foils. They're their own worst enemies. And um, I'm not a big fan of dysfunction, but dysfunction is the Republican brand right now. I don't see it recovering. So to answer your question. Yeah, true. They're not going to be able to get this uh, through because they can't get out of their own way. And I don't think that they really want I don't think they really want to pass any legislation at this point. I think the Freedom yeah. Caucus wants to be this thing they just want to they just want to they just want to replicate what happened in the house uh when they voted mccarthy out and that's the vibe they're going for and um they found some they found something that makes them look like they're pro-corporate pro-business pro-whatever which is very not populist of them at all right um and it's going to be the thing they stick to so that's what i think so sean they were able this past week to excuse me hold on So, Sean, they were able to this past week get uh, IP uh, initiative petition bill out of committee uh, after a bunch of stuff has gone. Now, we've we've talked about it uh, on here before. Um, and the the interesting part of it is that the way that they're talking about it, um, this is uh, Bill Eigel, State Senator Bill Eigel, who's running for governor and is one of the Freedom Caucus members. That, and most of them are running for higher office and trying to get press anyway, so that's a big part of uh, of all of this. But he said they're coming out because they know the initiative petition reform is about protecting our Constitution, 
My commitment is I'm going to stay on the floor for as long as it takes to get that done. Uh, and uh, Alicia House is quoted in this story from KOMU, uh, says, District 44 supports IP reform so that all voices are heard. Currently, not all voices across the state are taken into account when our Constitution of Missouri is changed. This will actually do that. Sean, does that make any sense? No, no. Specifically, each claim on its own does not make sense. Right. <laughs> and together they don't make sense. But yeah, you don't protect the Constitution by stripping out one of the main provisions right. of how to make policy and change how things are in Missouri. The idea that Missouri would be better if we went back to just rolling back the recent wins of cannabis, minimum wage, Medicaid, mm-hmm. like that's so hard to defend. And they right. don't even try to defend it. You know, sometimes they'll say that just on its face, these things are obviously out of step with Missouri. But that's the whole point. We voted on it. Right. That's not. how we know they're not out of step because we <laughs> right. we, we literally had a show of hands. We're right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's and it's like maybe regular folks who work at Casey's and Sedalia believe in the Pizzagate scandal and vote Republicans and also believe that they deserve to have health care. Right. They could yeah, they could hold both of those ideas at the Right. Exact, right. At the exact so, same time. Yeah, I think they're going to fail because yeah. the discussions about where to put the goalpost is going to really I think Right. That's going to break high it down. on their own supply like this group they're all about that and so they'll start being like, well, if we make it 55% Someone might still be able to pass something. Let's make it 60%. You know, why not 63%? Right. And the thing of every house district or every county or every, right. you know, however they want to do that part, um, you know, the electoral effect later. So, like, right now, if you wanted to pass an abortion rights protection amendment, you would go where the people are, especially the people who agree with you. So you mm-hmm. go to the big metro areas and try to get your 50% plus one you know, starting where most of the people are, Kansas City, St. Louis, Columbia, Springfield, Joplin, St. Joe. Right. Um, and then the surrounding areas. If you have to get a certain percentage in each district, i.e. in safe Republican districts, then organizers who are spending that money to protect abortion rights, raise the minimum wage, whatever it is, protect union rights – now they're in your district, Jason right, Smith. Right. Now they're in your that, district. That was exactly what I was thinking was, why would you want to invite these people into your safe Republican districts? Because once you're there, you right. know, uh, if I'm here to do the work, then the doors open. There's bring it on in, boys. Right? It's, like, it's reminding me a lot of what happened when they tried to reform the ACA. Right. It showed you that there was a lot of thought and methodical planning that went into the system that exists. And right. when you pull on a sweater thread, the whole thing just falls apart. And then they go, well, we don't really, we just want to get rid of it. We don't really. So they can't say that because it would piss everybody off so much. So they say we have to reform it. Okay. Well, right. how are you going to reform it? it? I don't know. Why do we have to reform it? We just want to get rid of it. And you That's get right. into this like splitting hair nonsense. That's and perfect. Yeah. They're not thinking about the, 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 the knock on effects of what will happen because they don't give a shit. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I thought, uh, close it out with this, the Gene Dugan, executive director of League of Women Voters, uh, was quoted in the same KOMU story. 
Uh, it's been around since talking about the initiative petition process. It's been around since 1907, and we like it. It gives every person in our state a voice in our state government that we think is really valuable. The important thing is that they know our concerns. Initiative petitions protect Missouri's democracy. And the final thing that she said, and I think it's just uh, it's a perfect summary of it. It's been used by both parties. Just because the leadership of the General Assembly has changed does not mean that you throw out the initiative petition process. I, th- I just I think that's well said. So that's what's going on in Missouri uh, right now. We're going to move on here. Yeah, no. Yeah. Suppression, intimidation, an outright attack, uh, however you want to frame it. And I think you could frame it in any of those uh, ways. The Louisiana government uh, through the governor is going after journalism, another right wing hardcore attack on the First Amendment. Rachel, you uh, had dropped this in. I'll throw it over to you first on this. Yeah, no, because I think I mean, just what I've said there, I have no problem just saying, yeah, no. Yeah, it's really so the Biden administration has been using Title VI of the Civil Rights Act to to attempt to help uh, majority black areas with environmental pollution through the EPA. It is novel. It is difficult. Um, I think a lot. I don't I don't think we really talked about it, but legal experts were like, this might not work because it's it isn't really what the law was meant to do. Um, but nonetheless, he's knew he was going to be dealing with a hostile Republican party. He knew he was going to be dealing with a hostile fossil fuel industry. And this isn't even the fossil fuel industry. This is an area of the St. John Paris in Louisiana. And it's known as a cancer alley because of all these plastics and chemical companies that basically were, you know, producing an intense amount of, um, uh, greenhouse gases that of course cause asthma and cancer. And uh, so the uh, EPA was suing the state uh, and pulled the suit or suing, excuse me, it was, so I think it was suing the company that was going to build another plant. And there's a bunch of like on the ground activists who were working on this for years. They hailed the assistance and facilitation of the EPA um, and the governor who was the former attorney general. Right. Do I have that right? Yeah. And he was as also like basically like, a fossil fuel industry baron. It's a, it's a bit like if Joe Manchin were running um, West Virginia, like somebody who's just used to work for a fossil fuel company. Um, he's now using the Freedom of Information Act. So the suit was pulled by the EPA because the state of Louisiana sued the government. Um, and it looked like uh, the EPA was like, God, we really don't have any standing. Shit. You know, like that's what happened, I think, basically, from my you know cursory reading of all this stuff. There's a really good story inside of the Guardian article that links to the to a PBS news hour story about this particular lawsuit. And now the governor is using the Freedom of Information Act to force the EPA to disclose emails between citizens and journalists. And it's really just the journalists and the citizens requesting Freedom of Information Act, like processing Freedom of Information Act requests from the EPA, which is normally right. how it's supposed to go. So it is obviously retaliatory. It's really shitty. Um, yeah, this is when you talk about things that would have a chilling effect, right? That this kind of action is is one of those things. I think it's going to, I think it's going to backfire. I mean, I think it's incredibly stupid. Um, but, uh, I mean, you're right. It is absolutely like, yeah, no, like it is the, it's, 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 uh, I don't, again, like it's not something I would recommend people do if you're a governor. Um, you don't want to look, you don't really want to look like you're like attacking your own citizens in this way. Uh, I don't care what kind of governor you are. 
um, whether you're hard right or not. So, but he just won reelect. He just won election. So yeah. he's safe. Uh, he can be an asshole like this. Um, and it's horrible and it's terrible. And like, we don't really know what the outcome of it is going to be. And the government's like, well, okay, we, we need more time to process your request. And what's so ironic is that that is normally what states do. Like states like Missouri will completely stall on freedom of information act requests. When yeah, it our, comes our from, current attorney general's office is like setting a, right, a new standard a new on standard, how to stall. Right. Howley started that. Um, he was really good at that. And so now the irony is that a Republican governor is pissed at the government for taking too long to comply with a Freedom of Information Act request. Right. And it's like, well, bro, I mean, you started <laughs> it. Yeah. Sean with the tiny violin for the listeners only people. Sean, uh, yeah. Close us out on this one before we move on. No. Yeah. I think Rachel had it. I mean, it's just on people like us to shine a light on it because going after journalists is, you know, there's no penalty if people don't know about it. And, right. you know, that's just what's always disheartening to me. So I'll also say too that that article was was co-authored. So the Guardian and the Intercept work together. And this is like really the Intercept's bailiwick, right, is mm-hmm. transparency, abuse of the press, um, secrecy of the government. So, like, I don't know that that would be the enemy that I would want to pick is the intercept. That's all they know how they are. So like, I don't yeah, agree don't with pick all the fights with people who buy ink by the barrel. Right. That's the right. Right. And also like, this is their, like uh, maybe the, this is like absolutely completely right in their wheelhouse. So just mm-hmm. not only is it reckless and dangerous and harmful, it's really, <laughs> it's also dumb. Really, really real. Like you're hiding from the dog. The dog is outside the door. The dog has your scent. It's not going to go anywhere. Right. You've the got dog's a, like, I you've trapped got a pocket it. full of chicken livers. Yeah, exactly. Like I trapped it. <laughs> what do I do? Well, you can open the door. What's going to happen? Ask the dog, you know, like right. that's I. So anyway, right on. Let's move on here. In uh, happier news, uh, although it's hard for it to ever be happy news when you're talking about the opioid crisis, but uh, U.S. permanently eases some opioid treatment restrictions is the headline from this Axio piece. Uh, like a lot of things during the uh, you know the height of COVID pre um, pre vaccine pre treatment. Uh, a lot of stuff uh, was eased in terms of medical care to make things easier to get to kind of just cut down on contact, cut down on uh, folks having to be, you know, in doctor's offices, things like that. One of those things was uh, opioid addiction treatment, uh, making it easier to obtain, and that was going to expire. But the Biden administration announced this week that they are making changes to that program to continue that so that it will continue to be easier to get. Uh, Of course, this impacts folks uh, disproportionately oftentimes in rural areas and certainly in the heartland, the opioid crisis has been uh, its own, uh, you know, endemic type thing uh, during a couple of decades now. Uh, Sean, uh, what do you think here? Uh, Seems like a, you know, ring the bell, resounding victory type thing. Yeah. Smart, smart government and, you know, being responsive to an issue that's not easy Mm -hmm. and but it's definitely one that has appeal outside of politics you know people of all parties it's so i'm struck all the time by the crazy fact that like when i was in elementary school middle school and high school like you know what we heard about 
staying away from drugs and addiction right. and uh and we are know, in that wondered. age too where like it, it was it was not hard to find pain pills you know i remember like thinking right. back to like being in our late teens right. and like the the ability for people to have bottles of oxycontin and valium and uh or vicodin not valium but vicodin right codeine vicodin yeah opiates. like it was everywhere yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And just like the stunning numbers of people who have died. Right. Um, right. We don't have our arms around this at all. And, um, you know, yeah. the idea of just saying no, it's like we do need a more comprehensive policy. And so yeah. buprenorphine, naloxone, methadone, even just Narcan is not easy enough to get. Right. And so glad to see the Biden administration being proactive. Yeah, and part of what they've done here ends a requirement that you have a year-long history of opioid misuse before getting the uh, admitted into a clinic for oh, treatment. That sounds yeah. smart. Yeah, I think that's great. You like, don't have to keep being addicted also, longer if you yeah. show up wanting yeah. to get treatment. Well, you don't have to be addicted for a year to create a, a opioid addiction. Like that's it, it's crazy. Sorry, Rachel, I was cutting you off there. No, no, I was just gonna say, like, also that, like, the idea that you had to what other drug? So imagine. And there's certain drugs that if it's an intravenous drug, like you need right. to go to an infusion center. So if you're, if you're getting treatment for cancer, other types of some autoimmune disorders, you have to go to a center where they actually have to, cause you need a physician or a nurse to right. administer a, a drug by an IV. Um, uh, so that makes sense that you have to, but like, why do you have to go to a place to be humiliated in public to take methadone? It's a prescription. Just take it at home. Like the idea right. that you don't, that you can't be trusted. Um, it's still. Right. It, if it's if we of, can trust anybody to take the drugs that they need right, to take. Right. The, and the like people that take the drugs and the, just give the, them the, drugs. The, the data around the success of methadone treatment, if it's done over, it takes, it can take a long time right. because you do. It's not magic. Of all the, of all the drugs that really do rewire your brain opioids are one of them and so you need a, you need time for the dopamine receptors to recover and it can take anywhere especially if you're taking fentanyl oxy these super super high dose um right. opioid drugs so the notion that like when i read this i started clapping out loud to no one and yelled i love good policy so mm -hmm. much mm -hmm. um so this is so when you're looking at like what does incremental change do how does it affect people why should we give a shit how come it's not whatever these are the types of incremental changes that normalize something that has been stigmatized since I was a child. Right, right. I don't even know how else to say how smart this is because you start to kind of saw away at these things that are impediments to good healthcare policy. Um, there have been a couple of other announcements this week where I'm like, that's what I wanted to see from this administration. That's what I've been waiting for for a long time. So when you normal, when one administration normalizes these things, it becomes easier for subsequent administrations to go, let's just let nurse practitioners prescribe methadone and, and uh, the other opioid treatment drugs so that right. people can take them at home and we end this crisis. Because I think you have to have, it has to be surgical the way that you approach the opioid crisis. And I think this is an example of that. It's, yeah. it's, um, it's, it's really wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's, it's another example of, you know, the people who want to talk about the Biden administration and, you know, is it, are they doing enough? Are they progressive enough? Like this is a perfect policy example of like, this is what truly progressive policy looks like. Um, 
you know, and that's it, something it, they can do, right? right? Like it's something it's it's a it's a flick of a pen, right? Um, so right. if you if you want to know other things that we should do, the entire country should have laws in every state that allows nurse practitioners and physicians assistants to operate without the supervision of a licensed doctor. Right. So there's no reason that a psych nurse or um, uh, a GP nurse who mm-hmm. gets a ton of schooling, right? Yeah. They're just this close from being a doctor and they have to do tons of continuing ed. Um, I'm not saying that they are a substitute for doctors, but if we, if we allow, if we, if we normalize them practicing medicine in rural places, then you also increase access to the availability of these prescriptions. Right. Just generalize. Yeah. Increase of, of access. Totally. Which uh, dovetails into the second, yeah, 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 which is uh, additional funding that has flowed from Biden administration uh, policies uh, into the states. And here in Missouri, uh, a huge pot of money to help spread reliable Internet. They're saying by 2028, uh, this is a Missouri independent story. And part of what it highlights is that there's essentially 15 percent of Missouri households either are unserved by serious Internet connection or underserved, meaning maybe you can get dial up, but you can't get broadband or you can get some smaller level, but you can't get the high speed Internet, something like that. Um, you know, if folks who live in slightly more populous areas in Missouri have probably seen crews out and about uh, in recent the, the last year or so just trenching and just all over the place because the uh, uh, the fiber is spreading, uh, which is good. It's going to be a very good thing. And uh, we'll see more of that with the broadband. So that's just just another one to highlight that, uh, you know, it's it's one of those times where um Good stuff is happening both at the federal and state level, and it gets overshadowed by the, you know, assholes who are filibustering into the late night and barking into the camera to try to get themselves, you know, on television instead of trying to make sure that this type of a program is being uh, appropriately administered, which would be an awesome thing for the government to actually do. So, Anything else on that one before we move on from either of you? Good. Well said, I say. All right. Let's move on. And now, the big one. All right, the big one. We're jumping in to some Trump legal problems. Uh, We're not going to spend a ton of time here just because uh, everybody, you know, at this point you probably know what they are. So, you know, not to... Not to belabor the point of the fact that Trump has a lot of legal problems, just a whole uh, a whole plethora, uh, bouquet, if you will, of legal problems. Um, reports are coming out, though, that Trump himself might be starting to realize that he's got some problems, that his legal cases might not be so good for him. Uh, this is from an Axios story. Uh, why it matters, sources tell us Trump believes he'd likely be convicted if the January 6th case comes to trial later this spring in Washington. If that's delayed, he could face a guilty verdict in the Manhattan hush money case. Trump thinks he could still win the White House, partly by making daily theatrical appearances whenever courts are hearing his four cases, totaling 91 felony charges. But his adversaries worry independence will be turned off by a conviction in a jury or his advisors worry independence will be turned off by a conviction in a jury trial. Um, Sean, as somebody who works in politics, 
which candidate would you prefer to be working with in this scenario? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. What his advisors say are <laughs> is correct. Independence was smart read. Like somebody out. like pipes up 20 minutes into this meeting. You guys here, I have a thought. Um, <laughs> do you think that convictions might be a problem for some people? I'm just, I just want to throw <laughs> right. it out there. For some people, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And we know that Donald Trump has been doing poorly with independence for a while. Like his first right. campaign was kind of based on this idea of non-traditional GOP primary voters like became his base, but they're not independents. You know, these folks who elected Trump, they you know, they were conservative voters who often hated Hillary Clinton. <laughs> um and so, but yeah, if you're going to win a national election, especially, you know, with the economy doing what it's doing, meaning roaring, still, right. even though some things are still expensive. 353,000 jobs in right. January. January, post-holiday hiring, usually January. Rachel, that's a slower month. I think. Uh, <laughs> oh man, that's why that like normally January is when everybody goes, all right, I'm gonna plan. I'm gonna like I'm gonna wash my hair. I'm gonna brush my teeth again. I'm gonna do all these things. And then like, okay, so then February, okay, March. Like that's usually how it goes. I normally you don't see a lot of hiring in January at all. Yeah, it gets dark at four thirty in the afternoon, and so the economy usually does slow Come, down. Comes to a grinding halt. Totally. Totally. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Once the, once the returns and exchanges are done from the holiday season and everyone's staring at credit card bills and, uh, just planning for taxes. Like that's, <laughs> and it shows that like, also like that's offsetting the, the major, cause people love to talk about layoffs, like major layoffs. Like, yeah, the big tech companies and a lot of the online retailers like Amazon, like they overhired during the pandemic cause they needed to, because everybody right. was at home spending money. And so that's been the story is like all these tech layoffs. It's like, well, yeah, but they also are getting jobs now. So right. like, it, even if they're being temporarily unemployed and, and nobody likes to get laid off, it sucks. I'm not, I'm not saying that anyone should celebrate that. Um, I'm fully able to thread the needle on hating the game and not the player, but it shows you that those numbers are not dragging down the economy. And I think right, that is like, we have to go back to that over and over again to be like, Right. You know, it, 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 the, the soft landing, like this feels soft to me. This feels cushy. Right. This feels. Well, oh, sorry. No, I just wanted to say Trump seems to be hearing the news that the economy is doing so well. And, you know, like a lot of egotistical politicians do, he can't let it go and he can't make an argument about the future. And he's gone back to this talking point of, yeah, well, the economy when I was president was better. And it's like, yeah, that was a long time ago now. Yeah. And, yeah. and demonstratively, no, it wasn't. Right? Like, it's not It's not even that we, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's not even, we're not talking about, like, debating whose mom's chocolate chip cookie is tastier, where it's like, they're both phenomenal because they're mom's chocolate chip cookies. And, like, we can go round and round about slight differences. But at the end of the day, they're both chocolate chip cookies. Um this is demonstratively different. This is like you've brought a snickerdoodle and I've got a chocolate chip cookie and you're trying to compare. You're like, your, your snickerdoodle is a fine cookie, but let's not pretend it's a chocolate chip cookie. Like get the hell out of here with that kind of comparison. It could be a perfect snickerdoodle, still a snickerdoodle, still doesn't have a, a drop of chocolate in it, right? These are salted chocolate chip cookies. 
right? What's your snickerdoodle got? Was <laughs> cinnamon? Oh, cinnamon. Throw away spice. Get out of here. Ridiculous. <laughs> but and as a in the meantime, right? While Joe Biden's out there talking about three hundred fifty-three thousand jobs, uh, making opioid you know medicine easier to get, helping people, helping people, helping people, helping people, helping people. Gas prices down, inflate. Like we're just everybody at this point is just largest- waiting. How about this? You ready for this? That's not something I'm happy about. I'm an, I'm an environmental girl. The largest producer of fossil fuels, the largest exporter right. of fossil United fuels States in the world. United States of America. Yeah. It's crazy. So, so what are you like? So you can't say we're overly reliant on foreign fossil fuels anymore because we're right. not. And that's not my thing, but that is a big issue with independent swing voters. Right. Um, yeah. Well, the idea of a war on fossil fuels is just completely made up. But all, right. all of and, that and, is happening. And in the meantime, when Donald Trump is on television, he's either very sweaty and forgetting names and saying things wrong and looking like he's about to drop dead of a heart attack. Or, which, by the way, he should know that uh, the opi- opioid medication is easier to get for treatment now. He probably should know that. Um, and or... Ooh. You think? <laughs> I'm just saying he looks rough. If he's not, you know, looking like he's about to have a heart attack while getting shit wrong on stage in front of dwindling crowds, uh, he's standing in front of a courthouse, bitching and moaning about the political attacks on him, and it doesn't seem to be selling that well. Well, also, how about the fact that like his defense team in all these cases have said we do not want you to show up in court if you don't have to. Right. Like you don't have to be there. Like it's a strategy now. It's a strategy. And that's what this article gets into. Like that their strategy is we have to show up so that he can complain and say it's a political attack. Right. It's his strategy. Right. It's, it's what he wants. And so he, he can do whatever he wants to do. He's an adult and he's also the defendant. So he can show up if he wants to, right? Like you can't not make him. All you can do is his defense team and say, we advise you not to come. Um, but like the unfortunate the reality e- of representation the is they Car- do have a right the, to be there sometimes. In the Gene, yeah, in the Gene Carroll case, <laughs> in the Gene Carroll case, they really were like, "Don't show up for closing arguments. Don't show up. Don't make a statement. Don't say anything. Don't do anything." Yeah, it's and, amazing to think like if he doesn't show up, the damages in the Eugene Carroll case are maybe like forty million dollars instead of eighty three point three million dollars. And can we? I would like. I this is. I'll 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 throw this to Sean after this. I remember long ago talking about this idea that like somehow crime that's that financial damages were going to be beneficial, that he was going to be bulletproof to the consequences of all these lawsuits. And Sean and I being like, that's not how the world works. Like, like circumstances come for all of us. He's not that powerful. Right. Um, He's persuasive and he's influential, but like power is something else. And he doesn't understand. He understands a certain type of influence, (laughs) but I don't think, Donald Trump really understands power very well. I know right. I, I mean that too. Eventually you've got to write checks. Eventually mm-hmm. those judgments will come for you. So even if he can appeal the Carroll case, it's not that he can appeal what the judge decided. It's not that he can appeal what the jury said. He can appeal the amount of money. That's it. That's all he can appeal. And that like, so He's going to have to deal with all of those circumstances right. at the same time. If I were him and his team, I wouldn't try to postpone the January 6th hearing. I'd be like, just get out of the way right now. 
Let's just get out of the way. Right. Because the closer we get to election day, the bigger the story chance, is. Right. And there's a chance that like if this is going on this summer before like this summer, if if that trial is going on this summer, every day there's a headline that will remind independent voters right. about how awful he was to the Constitution. Yeah. Sean, um the uh on on top of all of that you have to wonder you know as you know if you're looking at it in terms of like representing somebody in politics trying to advise somebody in politics and in the meantime in the background there's this action going on where <laughs> there's going to start being levies potentially against their property and do you think for a second that Ron DeSantis is going to step in and stop the authorities in the state of Florida from showing up with the writ of mandamus and the order to seize the property of Donald Trump. Do you think he's going to step in and stop right. that one? Cause I don't <laughs> think he's gonna. That's, that's my understanding. Yeah. I skimmed an article a little while ago. There are some MAGA state legislators in Florida trying to make state laws that protect Donald Trump specifically mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and DeSantis has said he's not particularly interested. <laughs> well, yeah, they were trying to pay his legal bills and DeSantis is like, I'm not signing that. But then, then you've got that, that like you're talking about County sheriffs and state troopers, right. Could show up. And these are the kind of people that the governor with a, you know, one phone call could say, don't, don't go there. Um, right. Leave the golf carts alone. <laughs> right. But they're going to show you up to seize this everything. property at some point in time. And, you know, <laughs> It's going to be very interesting to say the least. Anything else on this before we move on to our Senate stuff? Nope. All right. We have a drop. Uh, thanks to wonderful friend of the program. And uh, here it is for our election coverage era. Sunday, 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 2024 election coverage era, Senate edition. Yeah. Oh, that was so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that made me really happy. <laughs> I'm tempted for the video purpose to get uh, a Hulk shirt and just do the like Hulkster. Rip I think off. maybe I would, I would like maybe like a mashup of, of uh, men in the eighties wearing spandex <laughs> with makeup <laughs> that are just like shredding. Yeah. And our, their arms are str- sweaty for get, some reason. Can we get someone? Can we get someone from Striper? Can we cover them? <laughs> so uh, we're talking Senate. And um, the reason we're talking Senate is we've talked a lot about the presidential stuff. And we just talked about Trump and Biden some. So uh, there's other elections in 2024. Crazy enough. It's not just the presidential election. There's also uh, Senate and House and state races. Uh, and the Senate's a big one because right now, of course, the Democrats have control of the Senate. It is it, it even split technically with uh, then the tie vote being the vice president. But that appears uh, tenuous, right? It looks like 2024 is going to be most likely uh, if you were casting the mold today, the Republicans would probably take control of the Senate in 2024. And that, you know, could change, but. So that's a hard map a lot of times to change. So I want to start by talking about this piece. You know, it's from the Hill. Senate GOP looks to Wisconsin to set 2024 candidate map in stone. 
Senator Tammy Baldwin in Wisconsin is who they are going after up there. It uh, looks like Eric Hobdy or Hoved. I don't know how to say that for sure. Uh, business person up there in Wisconsin, which seems like kind of a tough one, I think, to flip right now. Wisconsin seems to be trending more in the anti-MAGA direction. So I think that's going to be a tricky needle to thread. Uh, but Sean, uh, I know that the Senate is one that you like to watch. I know that it, get, this gets your, you know, get your gears rolling. Wisconsin, Ohio, where are we looking as far as, you know, what's your concentration on the Senate? Because obviously I'm in Missouri, Rachel's in Missouri. There is a Senate race here. I'd want to talk about that some, but like if we're looking at just rankings of Senate races, that's probably not as high on the list as people might want it to be of ones that we should be looking at as far as like potential races. And we'll, we'll talk some about that one here in a minute, but uh, so where are you looking? Yeah. So the Senate is always tough. It seems like for Democrats Um, Mm -hmm. and Every it's year, almost it's like, like it was man. designed to <laughs> <laughs> allow for the less progressive voices to win. Right. And even, I'll say, the side that doesn't represent as many people. Right. Right. Like literally or philosophically or in any way. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> but yeah. So, you know, if you're a Democrat, if you're at the DSCC or, you know, just wanting to see Democrats hold the Senate – you know, there's a lot of places you can look for like a combination of encouragement that things will be okay and, you know, maybe trepidation that they that they won't be okay. So like, mm-hmm. you know, the toss-up states are Arizona, Ohio, and Montana. And those are all held by Demo- Democrats. West Virginia is an incumbent Democratic seat that is already a safe Republican flip. Um, so if you're a Republican, it's really simple. You have one flip in the bank and seven more possible. And those seven are (laughs) Ohio, Montana, um, Arizona, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Nevada, Michigan. Those are all held by Democrats. Um, and so these are often, you know, states that Trump won, if not in 2020, they're states that he won in 2016, Michigan, mm-hmm. Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, all have Democratic senators mm-hmm. where Trump won in 2016. So that's, you know, that's the that's the map. You know, GOP is targeting eight seats and they've got one in the bank already. And so, and of those eight seats, what we can also say, uh, because you make that point of, you know, half of these seats basically are states that Trump won in 2020 and then flipped uh, in, you know, or, or in 2016 and then flipped in 2020 that Trump won. And then in the, in, in those, you know, in those states, uh, the margins were super, I mean, they were even tighter in 2016 than they were in 2020. Uh, But then in the meantime, um, you know, these are people who were elected, Rachel, in 2018, right? So these are senators who came in during that 2018 midterm election. So we've seen them tested kind of in the MAGA, you know, election sphere, and they won those seats. Uh, So, you know, we can throw, I think we can throw the baby, the bathwater and the bathtub out in West Virginia um, and, you know, look at other places. Um, You know, what do you think about that part of it? I think that West Virginia will become a Republican 
seat for sure. I don't, I, I mean, there's just no infrastructure there. You think it's bad here. Holy shit. Um, and, uh, if I were going to stack rank where I think the Republicans have a second chance, I would probably look to, uh, mm. I'm just going down the list in my head. I'm like Arizona. Mm, I don't see, you know, mm. yeah. Carrie Lake is so disruptive and she's refusing. We've talked about that before. Right. Um, Wisconsin, Tammy Baldwin is pretty popular. Um, right. she's, uh, she's a badass politician. She really knows. When people talk about like a little dicky, like, no, Tammy Baldwin's a badass politician. Um, I also think Sherrod Brown she's is a badass. 20 million. Yeah. I also, yeah, yeah. 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 That's a lot. And I also think, I also think Sherrod Brown is a badass politician. Right. That guy's been in since 20, let's see, if I go back 2012, is that when he was elected, Sean? Is that right? Is to his first? Like that. I think that's right. Yeah. And he okay, definitely yeah. won re election. Yeah. With yeah. Handling, he's raised 28 million. Yeah, so he's so, and he is like, he's a real, like, from what I know about him, and I, you know, I couldn't write a book about him or anything, but like, you know, he likes to get out there. He's a, right. he's a populist kind of guy. He's sort of a man of the people. Um, he knows how to sort of talk about progressive ideas in front of people that maybe don't like Democrats. And I think that Ohioans are pretty fired up after their special election about abortion that they just had. So he has a lot of, um, we'll say he has a lot of beachhead. It's a lot easier to maintain that beachhead when you've had recent victories in the state, and they certainly have. I don't think that the fact that it's a split Senate is going to be easy for him, meaning that uh, he's got J.D. Vance to contend with right. on the right. J.D. Vance is going to help. I forget who exactly is running. It's kind of pathetic that I can't remember the person who's running against uh, Mr. Brown, Senator Brown. There's a few. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. There's a bunch of them. There's a primary yeah. over there. Yeah, yeah there are primaries yeah. in about a month. So we'll see who it is. So we'll see. Uh, and then you got to go up to, uh, to my, I think Pennsylvania's whatever. Uh, but I, th I think right. when I go up to, when I go up to Montana, I think that's right. my number two. Like when Chester. I go uh, West Virginia, whatever, you can't do anything. Thanks mansion. Dick. I hate him so much. Uh, all he had to do is run. I mean, he could have defended a seat. He had a path to victory. He just doesn't want to work hard anymore. He's old, whatever. Uh, but then I look up at Montana and I look at John Tester and I go, hmm, because of what happened to Liz Cheney. So right. Liz Cheney was the only House member. So, so Montana has such a small population that they have one congressperson, one House member. And she got, she just got smoked. Just right. absolutely, completely, thoroughly, 100,000% smoked. And she was an incumbent. Republican! Um, right. So... That's where I'm well, kind of sweating under my collar. And, and that like, matches the Cook political report um, uh, on the Senate races. Uh, this is Jessica Taylor from Cook political report, which is um, not, you know, it's expensive to have the Cook political report, but I have found it to be worth it uh, for us to have access. Um, I, I wouldn't, I don't know that I'd pay for it if I wasn't doing the show just because it, it you know, it's, it's a, uh, Extremely thorough. Let's <laughs> put it that way. It's very useful. Uh, but they put uh, in their map Montana into the toss-up race with with Ohio and Arizona. So um, certainly identifying the ones that you know the other experts certainly are looking at. Um, and this this line um, from this article: three-term Senator John Tester may well be Democrat's strongest incumbent this cycle. He still enjoys an approval rating around sixty percent. But the 67-year-old has the toughest uphill climb of any incumbent Democrat, at least purely by that, the numbers. I'm sorry, John Tester is 67. Yeah. What does I would like, sir? I would like to know your skincare routine. 
big sky. I would like to know like what's going on because he. I thought he was like my, I thought he was much younger than that. I got to be honest. Um, yeah. really, totally. is big sky country. That's his. Yeah, here. and I got I got to say like uh, <laughs> I I think Tester tries too hard to kind of lean into the middle sometimes because he feels like that's right. what he's. But he feels it feels like Claire McCaskill, and I'm worried. I think that's um, a really fair way to say because it. like he's trying to be like well i'm not going to vote for this sensible ass thing because i don't i want to appear tough on joe biden so when you see that it makes me nervous but i really want john tester to say in the senate i think john tester is he's a pretty good dude um he's been re- a reliable vote for democrats on other sensible things um he wasn't one of the holdouts when it came to passing build back better um that was purely cinema and mansion I feel like if he stays in the Senate, he could become the power, most powerful. If, if John Tester wins, this is my prediction. If he wins, he becomes the most powerful swing Democrat in the Senate because he could be the guy. He could be that guy. He could be like, I don't know about all this stuff. Like he could be, if you want, he could get, I don't know if that's his ego. Those people have egos. Um, right. Anyway, that'd be interesting. I hope he wins. Absolutely. Sean, um, Arizona is the other main toss up. We did, we talked about Ohio, some Montana, um, Arizona, anything else, anything else on Ohio and Montana, and then talk about Arizona and then let's move on to the last call. Sure. Yeah. So Montana tester does seem to have a, uh, you know, I don't know if he's a strong, uh, Republican opponent or not, but he seems to look strong. Um, right. He's raised $5 million. He has a military background and a business background. He seems young and energetic. And so hopefully he'll get all pissed off that people aren't rejecting Tester just because they like Trump and he'll start to do some erratic and ill-advised stuff. <laughs> but definitely Montana, pick that. I mean, as far as like trying to pick somebody to run against tester right who is this tall rancher farmer common sense montana for veterans too, right. big time right right they and basically the pick the the opposite of him but in 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 a in i'm saying that in a good way like that they, they managed to find somebody who checks all the boxes that tester doesn't check um you know both age experience the whole bit, right? Like the, to, to, to put them up against, it's going to be an interesting race, if nothing else, I'm, you know? Yeah. Especially when you yeah. compare it to what's going to happen in Arizona, which is still just sort of wild at this point. Right. Right. Yeah. And so they were talking on the five thirty eight podcast about someone said, you know, I don't think cinema is going to run again because of her. I mean, anemic fourth quarter where she raised, I think $600,000. Um, and she's got uh, millions in the bank. She might have ten million cash on hand. Um, she's raised a bunch of money, <laughs> so um, you know I wouldn't jump to conclusions that quickly on cinema not running, um, especially if people start telling her. I guess you know people with deep pockets tell her she should. I guess the question is like who who are like I still don't. She still hasn't said I'm going to run as an independent. I think that's the thing is that she still. She still loves right. to be the the prettiest girl at the dance. And I, you know, I think you're right, Sean, that like, if she thinks she can court big dollar donors, I just don't know who those people are uh, because I don't. Well, and they're, know, and they're like, filing deadlines late too. So the Arizona yeah, filing deadlines, not until uh, the fair. first week of April, most places oh like it's, it's either happening it's now. Yeah. Right. Or it's like much sooner than that for the most part. Um, 
So, you know, their their primary is not until August um, and their filing deadline is not until April. So it's entirely possible between now how and much, then. Deshaun Delerno, how much Ruben Gallego, who is the only like the, the Arizona Democrats lined up quickly for an alternative to cinema when she fought, when she basically stripped herself of her party affiliation. How's right. his, do you know how, how is his fundraising going? Yeah. Yeah. So he's raised 13 million and oh, Jesus has, Christ. Okay. Yeah. It's not a bad number. And Carrie Lake got the, just, just to clarify, we talked about this last week. Carrie Lake got the head of the Arizona Republican Party fired so she could get her own person in. Um, Carrie Lake, who's already lost statewide election once. Um, right. And never so won. Right. She's the right, new face. Right. She's not right. someone who has ever won an election. Right. Right. And there's either an incumbent that she has to deal with or a super well funded. Um, and like somebody with name ID who's running, uh, in the state right now. So, right. Right. Yikes. It's certainly not crazy to imagine, uh, cinema running independent and Sean, like, you know, that's one of those things that the, this cook political report, uh, article has, which is, uh, there's, there was some polling done on a three-way race with cinema Gallego and Lake. And in that polling Gallego comes out at 39% Lake 33 cinema 29. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if you're looking at it, you know, if you're making your own little fantasy board game and you can just decide how everything goes. Yeah. Right. (laughs) You know, it's like if you want to make sure Carrie Lake does not become the next senator of Arizona, then the easiest way in my mind would be to make sure cinema doesn't run. Mm -hmm. Um, Because having a three way race, a three way race is crazy Mm -hmm. um, for United States Senate. So it's and cinema great that, is and cinema is crazy, so that's kind of right. that's kind of like the, it's sort right. of the perfect testing ground, right? I mean, Arizona, which is already you know this like pretty split state that you know it's it's gone both directions. It's had you know John McCain forever was the senator, right? It's technically Jeff got Lake. two Democrats right now, right? Jeff it had Lake Jeff was Lake. like the most the most establishmenty de- Republican right. you could kind of think of. If you, if you built one at a lab, it would be Jeff Flake. Like well, that's re- Mark Kelly is sort of the opposite of Jeff Flake, right? He's oh sort of a hundred percent. Yeah. It's a badass, Right. Right. And, but these elections are so close, right? So close. Carrie Lake only lost the governorship by 10,000 votes. Right. Well, that's, that's still crazy. like one of those things that but like that was, Trump, Trump will bring it up like Fox news calling Arizona, you know, early right. because of how close the vote that really was, was before, in Arizona. That was before abortion. So true. And, and the Republican party nationally has been beating up Arizona, everything they did after right. January 6th. So I mean, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. It's so hard to know what will happen because hopefully cinema will just retire or become a lobbyist or become the president of some organization. Um, but yeah, I mean, maybe they want to put America and their their voters through eight months of a three way race of insane spending. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would love to see Ruben Gallego become the next U.S. senator from Arizona. That would just be such a a, a breath of fresh air. Um, is it is it crazy? Um, I'll just ask you both just for a quick answer on this. You know, we we've seen some polling. Um, that suggests that Missouri is going to be a closer race. Um, it certainly seems like at this point, any any primary around the Democratic seat for uh, nomination for the Senate is is done. It's, I is guess gonna, Lucas has it locked up. 
It sure seems that way. Right. Right. We we certainly thought that about this time in 2022 as well, that it was likely, you know, his primary to lose. And then that last minute Trudy Bush Valentine drop in in March. Right. Right. (laughs) Again, not a not a late filing deadline, but not an early one. And so March came around and, you know, a bag of money with zero personality dropped into the race and, uh, you know, or knowledge or experience or ability right, to say right. anything coherent into a microphone. And it yeah. probably, you know, I will say that I, I have looked at that as a silver lining, frankly, because I don't think anybody was winning that general election um, against not Eric Greitens. Uh, you know, Kuntz's entire campaign was built on Eric Greitens being the nominee. Right. And so I think that would have been a really, really tough general election. And then you know, is that it, right? Is that the bullet in the chamber and and now he's done and see you later, it resets the playing field. Instead, he got to sort of back out because the primary, you know, went the way it went and he went around the state and built up, you know, uh, other Democrats and helped and showed up and did some work and has stayed, you know, around campaigning and uh, being a part of the Missouri fabric, so to speak, uh, you know, to rebuild that. And, whether he's everybody's favorite or not is sort of irrelevant. It sure looks like he's going to take that primary. And if he, if it's him versus Hawley, you know, is that one of those races where we can talk about how Missouri voted in 2016, all we want to, but at the end of the day, Josh Hawley is Josh Hawley and he ain't Donald Trump and Lucas Kuntz is, you know, is a pretty good candidate. I think he's a better candidate than he was two years ago. Like for sure. I don't even think that's a question. Um, you know, he's kind of proven himself as a Missourian, so to speak. And, uh, you know, at the same time, can you think of a better foil? You know, if Joe Biden is, is kryptonite for Donald Trump, isn't a guy who actually put on a uniform kryptonite for a guy like Josh Hawley. Right. Yeah, maybe. And that's what, that's what we'll see. I think the Missouri Senate race with Hawley is in that, you know, it's, it's listed as a strong Republican race. Um, you know, if I were to break out the Senate map into tiers, you know, the tier one is Ohio, Montana, and Arizona. These are toss ups mm-hmm. and they're must wins for Democrats, right. and they're currently held by Democrats. The next tier is that Nevada, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan. Michigan. Right. So three of four of them voted for Trump in 2016. All four of them, though, voted for Biden in 2020. Right. Um, All so, four of them currently have Democrat. Right. So that's tier two, four must wins for Democrat, Democrats. And then I think tier three would be Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz and Rick Scott. Shithead Republicans, basically. Right, right. (laughs) And and abortion is the is the main thing. You know, these races will not go anywhere for Democrats unless abortion rights as as a critical, urgent issue really catches fire among independent voters specifically right because these are places where republicans have the record of winning Mm -hmm. we know what people will do somewhat you know josh hawley hasn't been we haven't voted on josh hawley after january 6th and a Mm -hmm. lot of people i think have been really disappointed and alienated people who want things to get done in washington people who might call themselves moderates but they're they're moderates they're independents there are even Republicans who liked Josh Hawley and now do not like Josh the, Hawley. The Obama-Trump-Biden voter. Right, exactly. And those people are around in Missouri. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because yeah, Obama depending was on the one polls you look at, there's like a third of voters in Missouri what I would be put in that camp of the true what? independent swing voter. What did uh, what did Lucas do last quarter as far as like bringing in money? Because he he knows to go also like he he's also is very shrewd and that his campaign knows that he has to go out of state. He has to kind of follow the Bernie model where if you're going to raise money to be this kind of like non corporate uh, populist Democrat, you've got to go to raise money in places like you know New York, California, um, parts of Colorado, places like that. So how's his hall doing? Yeah, so Lucas has raised five and a half million dollars. Um, I'm looking up Josh Hawley now, and I bet he's got quite a haul going. Probably, um, yeah. 18 million. Oh, yeah. Jesus. Okay, so that's so, terrible. That's terrible in yeah. and of itself. That is not a good sign. But um, it's still early. We're still in a primary. Um, I I want to, about Lucas and about Missouri, The I think if you're, it depends on how closely you follow policy and if you're a Missouri mm-hmm. independent voter. Because... It, it's hard to hang things on. There's so many things you can hang on Howley, but they are beyond like holding up a fist to a bunch of rioters and being right. a complete phony and lying about leaving the attorney general's office. Like these are things that are kind of bold and in your face. But I think my biggest issue with him, aside from the, all those things that he's a phony, that he's super religious conservative. Um, let's remember that he endorsed early in the last Senate campaign and it didn't matter. His girl did not even, she did not win place or show. She came in a distant third. Um, So his, so that didn't matter. The fact that he got behind someone didn't matter. So he doesn't have quite the Missouri's best boy vibe that he thinks he does. The Missouri governor's Republican candidate, whoever it is, is either going to be an extremist or a fart probably um, unless Ke- if Keo pulls this out, let me just say if Keo pulls this right. out, Josh Hawley is going to be this, this remain the senator of Missouri because Keo is a norm core kind of guy. He's like a right. normal ass Republican corporatist. He's rich. He has kind of a mild manner to him. That's they can what a put lot- him at the front of the ticket without pissing everybody off. That's right. And Josh right. Hawley can just kind of shr- like I think kind of like shield behind him. If if Ashcroft or Eigel or whoever becomes the other Republican nominee for governor. Um, and you've got somebody like Crystal. I can look at Crystal and Lucas and, and see them making appearances together, and it totally makes sense. They complement each other really well. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. both really like to campaign. I know she's struggling to raise money, um, but again, it's early. Like I don't right. think these are things that should make anybody worry. But I'll go back to what I was saying, and then and then I'll let I'll let Adam uh, continue to conduct this orchestra. But the things that I would hang on Howley as a voter is I'd be like. Uh, Look, every time he gets behind a piece of legislation, doesn't go anywhere. Right. He doesn't know. He doesn't really have. He wants to be a policy guy kind of now, sort of a little, a little bit. And every time he tries to do something populisty, whether it was increase the amount of money for relief checks during the pandemic or look tough on big tech. We'll talk about this big time in the in the last call. It doesn't mean anything to anyone in the Senate because he doesn't really wield any influence. He can't really whip votes. He doesn't really have any allies. Um, uh, I don't know that he, I, I don't, I don't think that he's really thought long and hard about that. I think that he just knows that he's from a safe Republican state right. and all he cares about is sort of keeping safe Republican seat safe. That's kind of his strategy. So I don't he, know. He's it's the perfect example of somebody you can say is, um, he, he, Josh Hawley has never led 
on any issue. He has right. he has said something louder than other people after they've said it once he knows it's safe to say it, but he does not lead. And that's I think a huge difference. And to the to the last last point I'll make and then we do need to move on. Um to the point on the money, um Sean is correct about what he has raised, but here's the part of that report that I think is important right now, which is cash on hand. As of the end of 2023, it is a significantly closer number than you would expect. Holly has just under five million on hand. Lucas Coons has just over 2.2 million on hand. So it's still a gap there, no doubt. You're talking about serious, uh, you know, money when you're talking about media markets. But we are running into 2024 where the gap is not as wide as you would expect it to be based on previous hundreds and numbers. That is very true. And that should tell you something about the amount. uh, Holly has outlaid $13.9 million uh, of the 18 that he raised uh, so far. And his girl lost. I'll keep saying that again. That's a lot of money for a guy who's an incumbent in an off year to have been spending. And he still got the name idea of, like a turd right. and his girl didn't win. Right. That's, that's a lot that of money. Gonna, it's a lot of money. And his girl didn't like, he, he boldly stood up in his dad vest and his dad shoes. And his like, my wife told me to wear these khaki pants, khakis. And he was like, I endorse Vicky Hartzler and nobody gave a shit in Missouri. Yeah. Everybody's like, so what big deal, yeah. whatever. Um, and I said, that is only the second curse word that I've said this whole episode. Yeah. Very, proud it's of very interesting. Well, let's move on to, uh, the last call. Uh, we're going to shut down the the live part. So for anybody who's been watching live, thanks for joining us. And if you're watching the replay, also thanks for joining us. We're gonna I'm going to end this recording and drop a new link for you guys. Uh, we'll see you in a couple of minutes. Last call. All right, we're here for the last call. And if you are a paid subscriber, then hopefully you're listening to this on the subscriber only. Uh, channel. Uh, if you're not familiar with that, if you go to your Patreon uh, page, you should be able to get a link. It should be just part of what you see uh, if you scroll through our information um, and you get a subscribers only link at the $5 up or more levels. If you don't have that, you're getting a little bit of a preview right now. And it's going to taper out here in just uh, a couple of minutes. Uh, so if you want to hear the rest of this last call, go to theheartlandcollective.com, click the subscribe sign up button and get signed up today. If you have a Patreon account, it'll be real easy because it'll just be another uh, Patreon thing for you to support. And if you don't, it takes a couple minutes to set up a Patreon account and become a member right there, theheartlandcollective.com. All right, this last call is uh, Zuck gets owned as legislators are finally upset about a product that kills kids, but not guns. Um, I toyed around with the headline for this, Zuck gets cucked. That was obviously, you know, that one came and went 14,000 times as I was trying to figure out what to write here. But, I mean, that's what it comes down to, right, is we have this performative uh, hearing. Uh, Zuckerberg goes to Capitol Hill. We have this hearing about social media. Zuckerberg gives this um, chilling apology. (laughs) I don't even, like, sincere is a tough word to even place on anything this man says ever. Uh, And then lawmakers do this performative act about being so concerned about this product that's killing children um, while, you know, gun deaths continue to soar in this country and kids are trained in school on how to hide during active shooter drills. But don't worry, we're, we're going after uh, social media folks. We got Instagram in our, in our radar. 
So, uh, Rachel, you dropped this in. I'm going to drop it over to you and just let you kind of go to town here on Mark Zuckerberg and the social media. Heartland Pod is a production of Mid-Map Media, LLC. Producers Adam Summer, Rachel Parker, and Sean Diller. Outro song by American Aquarium, written by BJ Barnum, called The World is on Fire. Learn more about the Heartland Pod at heartlandpod.com. Learn more about American Aquarium at americanaquarium.com. That's when I saw a tear fall from her eyes She said, what are we gonna do? What's this world coming to? For the first time in my whole life I stood there speechless
coming in too But she'll have my fight She'll have her mama's fire If anyone builds 